Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Hi, welcome to the Kudzu Vine for October 9th, 2022. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Join me as always. Welcome, Tim Shiflett. Good evening, sir. Yes, and as we let everybody know, Catherine Smith is on special assignment, but being we're in such a huge uh, midterm season exactly about a month away from the election we had to go get a great uh guest to sit in so we have we're going to welcome back to the kudzu vine um nashville political consultant kara turrentine welcome kara hey it's great to be here how you doing yes ma'am good to have you on and thank you for filling in for Catherine. um and kara since we have you on the show um, we're going to use your knowledge. We know you've worked right. You're working races all over the country. Worked races all over the country. So right now, you're um, a lot of knowledge and time in the state of Louisiana, and they've got a, a Senate race, which I think's gotten attention for maybe some of the political ads and the fact that it is such an unusual um, race because multiple candidates run, and one candidate has to get 50 percent plus one vote, um, John Kennedy, not that John Kennedy, is running for re-election. And so, um, but you're, um, there's more than one Democratic candidate in the race, but you know probably a lot about one. Tell us what you can about that race to start off with. Yeah, you look, there is a fight for control of the U.S. Senate. Our Republicans are fighting hard to take full control of the U.S. Senate, and John Kennedy, senator from Louisiana, is up for re-election this year, um, and he has a, a number of primary challengers. You know, Louisiana is still very much in its primary season. That race won't be until November the 8th, uh, which is the general for most other folks, and then if he gets less than 50% of the vote, that will move into a runoff that will be on December 10th. So it'll be the very last showdown um, in terms of who gets control of the Senate, very possibly could be a deciding factor. And Republicans are counting on on Kennedy to pull through uh, an easy reelection, but there are candidates that are pushing back on the Democratic side, namely um, front runner Jerry Chambers, who ran a congressional race last year um, parlay that into a Senate campaign is, is, you know, moving around the state and has really gained national uh, notoriety for creating national conversations through his ad campaigns. Uh, went viral around a couple of different issues. One, namely the decriminalization of marijuana, uh, which you know, went viral, started a national conversation. We just saw President Biden um, move to do some. A pardoning for folks that had federal offenses around um, small amounts of marijuana. So, you know, you see him moving around the state, and then you've got another Democrat, Luke Nixon, who is a, a veteran. He has been, you know, running a campaign as well. He just went up on TV, launched some ads 
also. So yeah, you know, Louisiana is is a brewing ground, and and this map is shifting so quickly. We might be talking more and more about Louisiana in the coming weeks as we get close to to the midterms. Yes, and I know Tim's going to have more questions on that race too, but I want to ask one, um, and that is you did mention there is there are two candidates. Obviously, Joe Cambridge has probably got more attention nationally. Luke Mixon is, I guess, more of the moderate candidate. They're both Democrats. How how much is the race them running against each other to be the number two, number one Democrat against the incumbent Republican, or how much do they have to kind of hook together? their vote adds up into the at least, I guess, high 40s to push the thing to run off. So there's kind of a team and then opposition. How does that dynamic play out? You know, there's some numbers out there that say, and I think 538 has the latest, you know, still showing that Nixon could, uh, that, that Senator Kennedy could pull this off and still win 51% of the vote and avoid a runoff. But as voters are getting more engaged, and we know voters tend to get more engaged in the final week, they start seeing more ads, they start hearing more on the ground from both candidates and third-party groups. And so um, in addition to Chambers and Nixon, there are other, you know, minor candidates that are also running that are going to pull votes. And so even at 51% or 50%, that's still close. I mean, it's very likely with the national push around you know, big issues like abortion rights that women across Louisiana show up and decide they want to change and it helps, you know, bring some uh, wind under both the Democratic candidates, they're going to have to battle that out. But, um, you know, the fight for number two is is roaring and it's something that I think Senator Kennedy's worried about. Yes. Well, I'm going to go ahead and pass it to Tim because I'm sure he has some questions about Louisiana. Tim? Uh, yes, uh, you 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 made reference to the ad campaign, and I guess to say that Gary Chambers made some history by lighting up a blunt in a campaign ad would be the understatement of the century. I was wondering, why does this particular issue resonate with with the candidates so strongly? You know, I think that a big part of it is the decriminalization of marijuana. It's not a new issue. There are, you know, multiple states that have already fully decriminalized it and have a booming uh, economic industry around legal cannabis. And so on the one hand, you've got a booming industry that um, is growing multi-million, billion-dollar industries in California and Colorado, et cetera. And on the other hand, you still have uh, people in the country that are arrested for laws that many argue, uh, you know, the President of the United States called this week to say, look, we got to revisit these laws at both the federal level and the state and, and legislative level, and the governors need to look at this that people are going to jail, you know, when the country has moved on. And so disproportionately uh, in some places, those are African-Americans that are, that are dealing with the criminalization of it, going to jail more often for their small amounts that are now legal in other parts of the country. How do we 
move the entire country forward, you know, I think in, in Gary's ad really said, look, this is a common thing, depending on where you are in America. It's not illegal. How do we make folks that are dealing with a very, very old way of looking at this whole, how do we bring people into the economic benefit of it, and how do we mobilize voters about it, because even 70% of Louisiana think it should be decriminalized. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's one of those things where you talk about policy creating choices for people. You know, it's, it, we've got to evolve in Louisiana when it comes to that, as well as a lot of other states that still uh-huh. make it a crime to have small parts. Yeah, and, and you know, uh, you mentioned that voters are receptive to decriminalization. What about legalization? How, how do the voters in Louisiana feel about it? So I think decriminalization, you know, is the first step, right, and in, in then moving uh-huh. to legalization and how you regulate that and then even bringing that industry into, you know, those new areas. And so you've seen some city councils take steps to decriminalize um, and do what they can do because the state laws, you know, are still very restrictive. Um, and so, you know, I've heard two sides to this. I've heard people be very, very uh, supportive of legalization because they see the economic benefit that can come from it. Um, but there are communities that are, uh, you know, and, and some advocates that say, you know, we have to be careful and we have to be mindful um, about how we introduce legalization into into our economy and into the community, the same way we regulate, you know, smoking for young kids, right? We don't want uh, young students going out and buying cigarettes. We've got to regulate that and make sure that it's being done at, a, at an appropriate age. And so I think that both sides of that debate have to happen, but, you know, there's models out there, California, Colorado, other states that are already uh, far along the ball on it. So. Mm-hmm. Is is John Kennedy's record as a U.S. senator a major issue in this campaign? Definitely. I mean, you know, Senator Kennedy has a record of saying some really wild things um, and supporting a, uh, you know, a lot of policies that, you know, if you're running as a Democrat, if you vote as a Democrat, you, you do take issue with. Um, I think his recent ad said, "Look, if you don't, if you don't want to call the police, go call a crackhead." And I mean, literally, just maybe last week that came out. And you know how horrible it is to suggest that folks battling addiction, um, you know, should be singled out in that way. And so I think, you know, his record on how Louisiana sits in in position to the rest of the nation, CPS of you know, 48th or 50th in several categories like education, like crime, like environmental issues, Louisianans um, are not in a race to be at the bottom. And so having leadership that's going to be focused on lifting the state, lifting the poor, the working poor, the barely middle class is what this race is shaping up to be about. And that's why you've got Democrats saying, look, there, is, there are choices and there are alternatives to the leadership that they have. Hmm. Okay, thank you, Kara. David? Yes. Now, um, Kara, we're going to transition over to something uh, that we have more of a discussion on because it actually uh, some things you mentioned before. I want to, I was remiss. We're excited in about 10 minutes. We're going to welcome our guest on the show, uh, Craig Pittman, 
author from Florida. We love having Craig on, and tonight he's not going to talk about one of his fine books. He's going to talk about Florida politics and the hurricane, and I, I want to segue and into that. But we're going to talk about this issue and then maybe get into some more races you've been working on after the other side of Craig. But um, John Kennedy actually made Georgia political news a few weeks back when he praised on a personal level his relationship with Raphael Warnock. And, Kerry, you mentioned that you're saying that um, Louisiana may be the last race, and I actually hope it is because I hope Raphael Warnock um, does not go to a runoff with Herschel Walker. But speaking of Herschel Walker, no one has made more news politically and very much for a bad reason than Herschel Walker this past week. Um, so we're going to segue into a little of that talk. Tim, I believe it was um, Monday night when the first story on this broke, uh, the Daily Beast report, or was it Wednesday night? The Daily Beast reported that um, he had paid for an ex, uh, I guess, girlfriend to have an abortion, and then it just spiraled from there. Your initial thoughts when you um, heard about uh, that story about Herschel Walker? Well, the first thing I thought was just when you thought you had probably reach the worst story about this guy well somebody says hold my beer and listen to this one and uh this one really really reverberated like a political earthquake because one of the strongest tenets of walker's campaign has been his unequivocal opposition to abortion in any form very hard line, no exceptions. He's touted it everywhere he's gone. He's run on it as hard as he could run. And then, lo and behold, here come the stories uh, that he has paid for an abortion. Uh, and later on in the week, not only that, he asked the same woman to get another one. Uh, and and he doubled down, made it worse, by denying he knew the woman, which was a neat trick since they had a child together. And then on top of that, uh, here comes a son who's uh, pretty well known in the right-wing universe, uh, especially down in Florida. He's all over YouTube and TikTok and all of that, and uh, he just... You know, he said, you know, my father is lying. All these things he's saying to your lies, and basically I've had enough. I don't, I don't want to hear this anymore. He needs to come clean. And that threw the Walker campaign back even further. And uh, there we are, guys. It, it, it mm -hmm. remains to be seen how seriously this will hurt him. But very obviously it can't help him. Uh, who knows? But I, I do want to bring this up, Kara, before I ask you a question, is I heard that after this all broke that he had his best single day of fundraising of the campaign. Um, how do you think this impacts the race, Kara? Well, look, I think that the Walker campaign is taking the playbook out of, out of Trump's uh, modeling, you know, from his campaigning over the last four years, which is deny, and when you're caught, you double down and you press and you press and you press. Because 
all the people want is a winner. We've heard social workers say that. You know, it doesn't matter what they say. The people need a winner now, and I'm and I'm the winner. And it it just kind of blows over the concerns. Um, and then the other thing that's probably benefiting him is that the national Republicans are holding steady. You know, some are saying, look, you know, we've got to look at some other races around the country that really have a shot because he's shooting himself in the foot over and over and over again. But for the most part, national Republicans are sticking with him and are encouraging the country to hold the line, continue to invest in his campaign, and, um, you know, try to keep swing and independent voters from seeing this as a single issue that they can move away from him on. I think the biggest problem is that, look, he lied. He lied to the Georgian community, to the electorate. He said, I don't know this lady. She's some lady. And then it's like, well, I do for her, you know, and Tim ran it down great. But I think that the problem is that, you know, Warnock has worked very hard to, to – um, and you see Democrats being very careful, you know, not to directly address this and get into a shouting match about it. Um, they're saying, look, he's unethical. He's, he's not telling the truth. He's, he doesn't have a good relationship with the truth. Um, he's not showing the character that we believe a U.S. senator needs to have. And so uh, this is going to matter, you know, for folks that believe, one, in a woman's right to choose, um, and the hypocrisy of Herschel Walker, suggesting that there's no place uh, for abortion, that women don't have a right to choose, but it, but it has benefited him. It was okay when it benefited him, and now that he's running for U.S. Senate, um, there, there are no, there's no flexibility there at all. So I think that hypocrisy is going to definitely impact the race. Democrats are making a really concerted effort not to directly address it, but to show what Warnock has done and how he's been helping the community, how he's been serving uh, with dignity. And he's out there pushing. I saw him out there uh, this weekend at Pride in Atlanta, you know, pushing uh, for an inclusive community and supporting women's rights. So it's going to make a difference in this race. I think it just it depends on how long is it going to take for the national Republicans to break and say, look, we've got to move on and try to help somebody else. Yes. Now, Tim, about midweek, we saw a poll that came out from uh, Channel 11, which is the NBC affiliate. Uh, Survey USA conducted the poll. It showed Raphael Warnock with his by far largest lead of the campaign, 12 points. And I think that poll was taken over four days, and only one of those days was after the story broke. broke the, the, I guess the day it broke, so only a quarter of the universe could have possibly heard about the story. And yet Raphael Warnock had a 12-point lead. Is that poll going to be an outlier, or is that poll going to be a harbinger of what's Well, I'm going to call outlier. There were a couple of more polls taken along about the same time period. Um, and one of them showed Warnock with a four-point lead. One of them showed him with a five-point lead. That mm-hmm. is more in line with what we have been seeing and uh, so I, I'm not sure what they did in their sample, but but I, I, there's no way this is a 12-point race. I really believe that if Herschel Walker declared himself to be, uh, you know, Satan, the lord of the solar system or something, he'd still get 45% of the vote. I believe that is his 
I, I, I believe that is his basement right there. I believe 45% is as low as he goes. Uh, the the yeah. problem that Walker has here, though, is that how does this news help him add any more voters that he needs? The, that 45% I was talking about, they're going to stay with him no matter what he said or done because they've done that so far with some really outlandish things, especially that he said. But how is he going to add, say, those suburban female votes that Republicans hemorrhaged uh, in this state when Donald Trump was on the ballot in 2020 and, and, and those same voters that helped pro- propel Senator Warnock to the Senate to start with? How is Herschel Walker going to cut in to that vote with this news? I don't see it. Do y'all? Well, Tim, I'm going to segue over, but before I do, I'm going to make one quick answer to that question. While it may, he may have a floor that's unfortunately higher than it should be, this may have also lowered the ceiling to 46% where there's no way he can get to 50 and then run off as the best he can possibly hope for and make that a little tougher. Um, but I want to welcome into the Kudzu Vine for I don't even know how many times because he's written so many great books and he's come on other times too. But tonight we're talking just Florida issues. Welcome back to the Kudzu Vine, Craig Pittman. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yes. Well, Craig, um, we know that you live, uh, if I'm not mistaken, you live in the Gulf area that was hit so hard by the hurricanes, correct? Uh, I live in the area it was headed for, and then it decided to turn and hit southwest Florida instead. So we're feeling a mixture of of relief and survivor's guilt here in in St. Petersburg. Yes, I saw the the Falcons game today, and it looked like the crowd was more, you know, things had gone well. But so I've been to that area then south of, um, you know, of Tampa, uh, Lee Mm -hmm. County, I believe it is, Port Charlotte, that's what Sanibel Island, all that area got hit. Mm-hmm. Um, how are things that, that you've heard or maybe seen to be a reporter looking like down there? They're just it's pretty it's pretty bad. Except in in two places, uh, Punta Gorda did well because after Hurricane Charlie came through uh, in 2004, they rebuilt and built built back stronger, and so their homes and 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 businesses came through the hurricane okay plus they're far enough from the water they didn't have to deal with the storm surge uh babcock ranch which is also inland and is builds itself as america's first solar city they did okay too because their uh, houses and everything are built up to a much higher standard and they're they never lost power because they're totally solar powered so they did okay but places like cape coral and fort myers beach they, there's barely a stick left standing, man. It's 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 awful. And a few people tried to ride it out, and I don't think they'll ever do that again. If they survived it, they they you know they've sworn off ever doing that again. The interesting thing to me is that most of the people who died died by drowning, and the average age was 60. So that means there was an awful lot of elderly retirees who didn't get out of the way of the storm surge in time. Yes, and just a, a kind of a question I wasn't even predicting asking. 
do you think that because people had written out hurricanes in the past that weren't that bad and they had that experience, they just had no um, frame of reference for how rough this one was going to be? Right. That's exactly right. Uh, Several people who wrote it out, they said, well, Charlie wasn't that bad. Well, Charlie was a really compact storm, and it didn't have that much of a storm surge. So even though it was a Category 4 like this one was, it was not the same storm. This one was huge, and it had gotten really strong really rapidly. It was, it was I think, about 2 miles per hour below being a Category 5. So it, it was just about the strongest kind of hurricane you can get. And it, it brought in this massive storm surge that sent water uh, and debris and everything else surging through the streets, surging through homes. Uh, I, I read one really harrowing story of this couple that, had ridden out Charlie, and they decided to stick it out for this, and they wound up lashing themselves to the front porch so they wouldn't get washed away. And the woman called her son, who was 10 miles away, and said, the water's not too deep. It's only up to Dad's chin. So, you know, (laughs) that they survived is kind of a miracle. Um, And a lot of folks didn't. A lot of folks didn't. And there's been some discussion about whether the – governor and the local officials issued the evacuation order in a timely way and also that he was kind of wishy-washy on telling people to evacuate basically saying you know in the free state of florida the state's never going to tell you what to do well in this instance maybe you should have told people what to do maybe the government should say get out of there because the you know the the death toll is in triple digits already that's so mm. sad. Uh, now, don't worry. Kara and Tim are going to get more political on it. But I want to ask okay. one more hurricane-specific question, and that was – Is it um, about the governor's boots? Because I'm prepared to talk about his boots, too. Sir? <laughs> I'm prepared yeah, to gonna, talk about the governor's boots, boots if you want to bring that up. <laughs> but but, but well, we'll wait. We'll wait. I think about three years ago in your first appearance on the show, I asked you what the most beautiful beach was in all Florida. And if I'm not mistaken, you said Sanibel Island. Um, we it, know that was it's a pretty beach. It's so rough. The bri- mm-hmm. the bridges um, got separated. What are you hearing about the recovery timeline for, you know, what you feel is one of the most beautiful places in all of Florida? There, it's going to take them a long time to put it all back together. But it could have been worse. Uh, you know, Sanibel years ago uh, was targeted by developers that wanted to build a whole bunch of condos out there, and um, there were a group of retired. CIA agents who lived there, and they liked it just the way it was. And so they actually put together uh, a newspaper and started running a newspaper telling people, you know, here's what the county is trying to do to you. They wound up leading an incorporation effort, and one of them, Porter Goss, wound up as the first mayor of the city. And they basically stopped that that scheme for overdevelopment. So what was out there, it's it's, you know, what happened was bad, but it sure could have been a lot worse there could have been an awful lot more people that got killed, um, you know, if they had overdeveloped that island the way they were talking about. Uh, I'm happy to report that my favorite restaurant, the Bubble Room, has apparently survived. That, that's important to me because that's where I proposed to my wife. <laughs> so, mm. uh, but, you know, it's going to be a long, long time before people are able to come back to Sanibel and, and enjoy it the way they had before. Well, hopefully it will be maybe uh, faster than we're anticipating. I'm going to pass it over to Kara Turnkane, who's got more questions, and we will pass it to Tim for some hardcore politics. Um, okay. And then if there's anything else, I might have another question. Kara? Okay. Hey, Greg. Hey. You know, I think 
Hey, look, I said, I'm so glad to hear you and your family are doing good and, you know, the, the recovery is happening. We're watching closely in other parts of the country because the end was definitely um, just so severe. And, you know, you made a great point here as you were summing it up about did DeSantis do enough to actually govern in this, in this situation? Um, the evacuation orders, getting people prepared, you know, kind of what I call watering it down and saying, oh, there's just a few nasty days ahead, uh, really downplaying, you know, what we saw were Category 3 and Category 4 and, and much, much bigger, um, a much bigger storm than I think any of us thought it was going to be. Go out, come back in, go out and come back in. Is that going to impact the races in Florida right now? What are people thinking as they look at recovery and they're trying to gather gather their lives together. Um, Rubio's in a tough race with Val Deming. Chris is running running against DeSantis right now. Are you seeing any movement in terms of people rethinking their loyalty to DeSantis? No, I'm not. Uh, but here's the interesting twist on the hurricane. On the one hand, DeSantis has been all over the news, you know, leading the leading the rescue effort, leading the recovery effort. Of course, the governor gets a ton of of airtime because he's the one who gets up and gives the updates, not the you know not the guy from the state division of emergency management, not DOT rebuilding the bridges. It's always the governor. So that's there's not much Charlie Chris can do to counteract that. On the other hand, the place where Hurricane Ian hit is a hardcore pro DeSantis area. And those folks are going to have a really hard time voting because, you know, yeah. all, the, all the polling places are blown away. All the places where you could drop off your mail-in ballot, gone. Uh, you know, so it's going to be interesting to see if there's some talk of postponing the election. They've already had to postpone the one gov- gubernatorial debate that was supposed to take place, I think, on the 10th. Uh, they're going to have that later this month. But we'll see what happens as far as the voting. Um, and... Um, I do have to mention the the wonderful irony you mentioned Marco Rubio that he and governor uh, I'm sorry uh, senator Rick Scott were calling for more aid for Florida at the same mm-hmm. time that they Scott voted against the aid the aid package mm-hmm. and Rubio didn't even show up for the vote um, mm-hmm. and then uh Scott once again called for more assistance to Florida more federal assistance to Florida at the same time he voted against a bill to continue funding the Federal Emergency Management Agency, which is the agency that would administer all that funding, all that. So, you know, it's it's a classic case of Florida officials who, you know, they talk one way and they walk another. Um, uh, so, you know, but that's they, it's like they do everything for a performance. They do everything for the TV audience, but the way they actually vote, it's not it's not that way. Right, right, right. Doesn't doesn't align with what the people need, especially in uh-huh. this case. And you right. were writing to my question, which is, how is this going to impact the elections? We've seen such an effort to roll back, you know, mail-in vote, voting, drop box voting, absentee voting. Now is a perfect example of exactly why those options. Instead of postponing the election, do you think Republicans will get on board with ramping up uh, those alternative ways to vote? They'll find other ways. When Hurricane Michael hit the panhandle back in 2018, it was uh, before an election, and they actually allowed – I think it was Bay County – they actually allowed email voting, which is not in state law anywhere. But the what? local supervisor of election said, if that's a way to get people's ballots in, we'll take it. And so they allowed people to vote by email and counted the votes. 
and which is it's clearly not legal, but nobody challenged it. That's interesting. That I yes. hadn't heard that before. But yeah, I, I think that you know there was a lot of controversy around COVID impacting the elections mm-hmm. and letting people vote in alternative ways by standing in line. And to see this tragedy happen and you know the aftermath of it, I think it makes sure. sense. But will you know if if DeSantis thinks it'll hurt him, will he go for it? Well, uh, to me, it was interesting the way. It, one of the things that happened with this storm is that it dumped a huge amount of rain that has led to serious flooding in other parts of the state besides Lee County. Uh, in particular, the Peace River overflowed in Arcadia, which is in about 50 miles inland, and uh, and caused all kinds of havoc there. And so, you know, DeSantis showed up there to uh, take an airboat ride with the sheriff's department, and he showed up. He and his wife both wearing this blue vest that had his re-election campaign logo on it. Mm. So so clearly campaigning is very, very tops on his mind. But everybody else, everybody focused on the white boots that they wore because those are boots that you wear if you're like a shrimper or a commercial fisherman. Arcadia is a rodeo town. Everybody wears cowboy boots there, so it's kind of an odd choice. Um, and, and people had fun with that. They, they, uh, they you know, compared him to a Dallas Cowboys cheerleader, uh, Nancy Sinatra, the green M&M. Um, so, but, but the important thing was he was wearing his campaign merch out there and then later complained about other people politicizing the storm. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that. Rubio Demings, what do you think? I'm sorry, what did you say? I said, I said with Rubio and Val Demings, what do you think? Is she closing in on him? <sighs> she is trying to keep it close. Um, he, you know, some of the things he's done makes you wonder, does he really want to be reelected? He's, mm. he's done some really strange stuff. Um, he, he's recently picked up on the whole culture war thing that DeSantis has been hammering at, where he did a, a, an ad referring to a, a drag queen story time uh, that was not going on here in Florida. And um, the, the, the drag queen in question, whose name is Little Hot Miss, actually made a complaint all the way from Arizona where she lives and said, uh, you know, um, why are you so obsessed with me? <laughs> that became a story. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. So I w- I, that's the debate I want to see, a little hot mess versus Marco Rubio. <laughs> that would be amazing. Yeah, you know, she's pulling, she's pulling along really hard here, but I know the recovery mm-hmm. is the forefront of everybody's mind. Sure. It'll be interesting to see how she leverages, you know, Rubio not even showing up when the people really need the support. Mm-hmm. Uh, he can't show up to press the button. So it'll be interesting. She's been, she's been running some pretty tough uh, TV commercials, and uh, I think that's helping her a lot. Uh, I don't know if she has enough funding, though, to uh, continue doing that all the way up to the election. That's kind of the big question. The same thing with Charlie Crist. DeSantis has so much more money than he does and is running ads on just about every YouTube video you look at, and not to mention on, on TV. So, And they're all people saying, thank you, Governor DeSantis, for keeping Florida free. And it's like, yeah, but they never talk about the specifics. You know? <laughs> it's always, thank you for keeping us free. But what did he do? <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't fix the property insurance crisis. Florida was already paying the highest property insurance rates in the nation, and that was before the hurricane. What's going to happen now? They didn't do anything about the affordable housing crisis. 
He hasn't done anything about the pollution problems that led to the manatee die-off. But, you know, he attacked Disney and, and drag shows. So, you know, I'm not sure what they're thanking the governor for. Yes, well, well, Craig, that sounds like a good reason not to live in Florida, so you have to see those <laughs> YouTube videos. And, and one more thing for pass it to Tim is I knew Arcadia was a rodeo town because I listened to your latest book about the wild men and women of Florida. Yep. So I knew all about yeah. Arcadia. Yeah, so it's, I it's, guess that it's, shows it's, it's that the oldest. It's, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Ron DeSantis needs to quit banning book and read and yeah, banning books and read a few. Um, <laughs> I like that. That's good. For more questions. <laughs> okay. Uh, good evening, Craig. How are you doing tonight? I'm okay. How about yourself? Good. I'm going to go way off into the political weeds with my first question. Ben Sass, why him? <laughs> You know, that's a really good question, and and it would be great if I could tell you there were other candidates for the job, but under a new state law, they can hide that, and they did. So as far as we know, he was the only finalist for the job, but you know he didn't get hired without DeSantis' explicit say-so because the guy who's who's currently the chairman of the Board of Governors at the University of Florida is one of his biggest campaign contributors and also someone he regards as a campaign advisor. Uh, a, a big developer in Jacksonville, um, I believe his name is uh, Moisey Hassani, and he, mm-hmm. um, you know, he he's the guy that got Joseph Ladapo onto the faculty at the University of Florida. In addition to being the Surgeon General of Florida, and so he wouldn't make this move without DeSantis saying yes. And the fact that they picked the guy who voted yes on Trump's impeachment, yeah. to me, speaks volumes. <laughs> It speaks All right, and now, Trump, Trump, Yeah. Does Trump said a word about this? He has. He has actually commented mm-hmm. that that the University of Florida is going to regret picking Ben Sass as the as their next president. And so you know that's a that's shots fired between DeSantis and Trump. People have been looking uh-huh. for signs of a split. Well, here it is. It's subtle, uh-huh. but it's there. Uh huh. I would imagine that the former president has has been looking for any opening to go at Governor DeSantis anyway, hasn't he? Well, he hasn't done it openly. He, you know, there have been yeah. there were comments. Um, apparently, he was pretty open with Maggie Haberman in her, in her book about Trump, where he called DeSantis mm-hmm. was it whiny and fat, and mm-hmm. uh, and but said that DeSantis came to him begging for an endorsement when he was at three percent in the Republican primary in, in 2018 and got the, got Trump's endorsement and uh, subsequently won both the primary and just barely the, the, uh, the general election in 2018. So mm-hmm. he feels like Trump owes him big time. DeSantis, on the other hand, looks at him as, you know, he's a potential rival. So he, he can't, he can't openly feud with him, but he can do stuff like this that he knows is going to annoy him. Now, um, uh... Speaking of DeSantis, uh, a brand new YouGov poll just out has both Governor DeSantis and even Senator Scott polling better than Senator Rubio. What is up with that? <laughs> wow. Well, Scott's <laughs> not on the ballot, unfortunately. Um, yeah. <laughs> but DeSantis, you know, DeSantis shows up on Fox News whenever he, pretty much whenever he wants to be on there. So he's, mm-hmm. you know, he's got that celebrity boost coming from Rupert Murdoch's network. 
mm-hmm. but Rubio, you know, Rubio is widely known as the guy who took, excuse me, took lots of money from the NRA and has not done a, a thing about things like the Pulse Massacre, the Parkland mm-hmm. shooting. And so I think there are a lot of people who really don't like him. They don't like his penchant for, um, you know, quoting Bible verses and ignoring his own responsibilities at work. Deming has hit and hit him pretty hard about not showing up for votes, which I think is a pretty mm-hmm. good thing to, to, to hammer him on. I mean, if you don't do your job, what's the point of sending you back to do it again? So right. um, now she she uh, she's kept the race pretty close, as you've already alluded mm-hmm. to. But obviously she needs a little bump to get her over the top, because, frankly, uh, beating him would would be something of an upset. He's. He yeah. ran a pretty solid four-point lead lately. So my mm-hmm. question there, is there any sign, as there has been in some other states, that there will be maybe a significant increase of women voting because of the uh, Supreme Court's Dobbs decision? You know, it. it yeah, I wish I could say yes. I, the answer is it, it varies. Uh, I saw one story that said women are coming out in droves to register to vote. Another story that said not that many women have registered to vote. So I'm not sure which one's right. Um, uh-huh. But uh, the 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 key here is not registrations, but how many people show up. You know, how many people mm-hmm. are actually going to go out there and vote. And uh, Deming's supporters are pretty fervent. I'm not sure that the people who like Rubio like him that much. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it's all, it's all going to come down to uh, how well, how good is Val Deming's souls to the polls <laughs> efforts? You know, how many people can she get it to come out and vote for her? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and over in the governor's race, uh, I, I just going to report what I've, I've read. I, mm-hmm. I, I've already seen one column that's basically, how do I put this, the political obituary of Charlie Chris. That's the only way I know to put it. Is, is that about the size of it? I know he's lost some major races over his long political career, and he's won one major race. If he loses this one, do, do you think maybe that's about it for him? No, Charlie is a political animal. He's never happier than uh-huh. when he's running for office. If, uh-huh. if if God ever made the perfect politician, it would it would look like Charlie. <laughs> you know, the, the guy with <laughs> the guy the guy with the perfect two handed grip on your hand. The guy who looks at you with the eyes that are full of sympathy and says, "Oh, I understand," and you know all that kind of stuff. Charlie Charlie is a um, Charlie's got more baggage than the Miami airport, but he's done some good stuff in the past, uh-huh. and you know he is the he is the one and only governor in Florida who actually tackled climate climate change, and I, you know, I, I, it's too bad he didn't run for reelection and instead went off gallivanting towards a Senate seat that he lost. Um, so, mm-hmm. and then Rick Scott came in and junked everything that he he achieved. So, um, yeah. I would expect Charlie to run again, maybe for a con- another congressional seat, maybe for something else. Um, yeah. So, speaking it, of congressional. Speaking yeah, of congressional seats, oh, yeah. so mm-hmm. Craig, you yeah. know Governor DeSantis's uh, congressional map is is gonna stick at least through this election. So shouldn't yep. Democrats prepare themselves to lose several House seats down there? 
the the game is rigged for that. Yeah, he's 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 set up a um, uh, his own uh, map that he basically forced the legislature to take uh, is one that will definitely cut out some Democratic seats and is even more geared toward cutting out uh, districts that were uh, where black representatives were more likely to get elected. And one of them is Al Lawson up in the panhandle where basically he, he cut him up and said, nope, you're not going to get reelected. Forget it. And so Lawson's mm-hmm. running for his political life in that district and probably going to lose to a Republican. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, there's supposed to be some court relief coming, but it won't come till after the election. So we'll see what happens with that. But yeah, if this, if, the the way things are set up now, DeSantis is riding towards a bigger, making a bigger Republican majority in the House from Florida, mm. and right. um, and and so you know, and it's all part of his grand plan for when he becomes president that he'll have a you know a friendly Congress to work with. So uh, mm-hmm. you know the the thing about him is he's thinking two years ahead. So he's running for a four-year term as, for re-election, but he's only going to serve two years of it. So because then he's mm-hmm. going to run run for president in twenty, uh, you know, twenty-four. So uh, basically, voters who vote for him, they're voting for Jeanette Nunez, the lieutenant governor, because she'll become governor when he steps down. Mm. I got to ask one final question, and let me preface it by saying I do not know a larger political animal than myself. <laughs> it seems like to me politics. I love I love sports, but to me politics mm-hmm. is the greatest spectator, spectator sport on the planet. And I've, I've I've breathed it for over fifty years that I've been involved in it. So I got to ask, with because you have a front row seat to this, you're a journalist. You know what people are saying. You know what people are writing. With everything that's happened down there recently in Southwest and across Central Florida, is the upcoming election really on people's minds very much? No, no. The the uh, you know the folks who've been who've been basically lost everything because of Hurricane Ian. That's that's what they care about, not the election. Um, uh-huh. The the folks who have who've gotten their power back. They're, you know, maybe watching the news and seeing these ads popping up, uh, but that's, you know, that's sort of been the limit of it. And and so it's, you know, even though it's a, about a month away, they're not talking about it. They're not thinking about that. And so, I, you know, I think we're going to have to get closer before it really becomes top of mind. But DeSantis has definitely benefited from the storm, you know, because for one thing, nobody's talking about Venezuelan refugees being flown to, to Massachusetts anymore. They're uh-huh. they're talking about oh we got to help these people in, in Southwest Florida. Uh-huh. Well, I appreciate it, Craig. As always, you give timely and wonderful answers to my dumb questions. <laughs> and with that, I'm going to pass it over to David. David. Yes, uh, Craig. One question, and I sent you uh, the story regarding this after Tim sent it to me several weeks ago. And it was a story that was um, put out um, by kind of like a more of an internet-based um, news firm more than you know a, a TV or um, print journalism uh, firm. But it was um, a story, as a photo 
from when Ron DeSantis was a teacher at Darlington Academy in Rome, Georgia, of where I live mm-hmm. and up where Chad. Um, I've lives. seen it. Yep. And it was he was had a picture of him and several female students at a party. They were all students at the time. Now this was taken around 2000. Um, there was alcohol clearly in the picture. Um, for a guy that has really um, gone after the teaching profession in a lot of ways, probably more than any other political figure, you know, defamed the um, good name of educators, for him to have been an educator and conducted himself in that kind of way, has that story gotten any real attention in Florida? It has not, and and I don't know why that is. But that, to, to me, that would be something worth exploring, just like I think it's worth exploring how he – wound up getting a uh, a bronze star in the, you know in the service which is the the same award that Bob Dole got but certainly Bob Dole was a much bigger combat participant than than Ron the lawyer DeSantis was so uh those are things that I would love to see our you know our cracker jack reporters dig into he and his staff practice a strong policy of not cooperating with the press not answering questions Frequently, they won't even acknowledge that you've sent in a question, and whenever whenever a reporter manages to catch him in person, he often winds up arguing with him and, and shouting at him because he's so thin-skinned. So it's really hard to get information out of his folks, and uh, it's worked to his benefit that he's been so uncooperative. So he's going to continue doing that. Remember, he, made, he actually made a whole ad pretending to be Top Gun because he said, this is how you deal with the media. You shoot at them, basically. <laughs> and dre- they got him dressed up in a in in the in the whole navy flight suit and the helmet and everything. And you know there was a real navy navy flyer. Was like, okay, that's kind of offensive that you did that because you were just a lawyer in the military. You were never a pilot. But people ate that stuff up. People love it that he is, you know, out there shouting and angry just the way everybody else is on Fox. Yes, but I will say this. I don't think that story is necessarily in Tallahassee, Florida. That story may actually be in Rome, Georgia, and wherever these other people that attended the party are now residing. Because these are now adults. You're not interviewing 16-year-olds. They're 16 at the time 20 years ago. They're in their late 30s probably. Well, Craig, yeah. thank you so much for all your time, and we know that you may not have another book ready to come out, but you're all the time writing in the Florida Phoenix and – um, online, social media. Tell our folks where you can um, read your musings. Uh, well, uh, I do a weekly column for the Florida Phoenix, uh, which is floridaphoenix.com, and uh, uh, try to try to make fun of the governor at least once, in, in, at least in one paragraph in each column. Uh, and uh, <laughs> I do a we- I do a weekly podcast called Welcome to Florida with my co-host Chad Scott, uh, where we explore all the stuff that new Floridians need to know about. So, uh, uh, you know, we'll talk about the um, Florida Folk Festival or mangroves or uh, we've interviewed a python hunter and a, a gator wrangler, just anything, anything important like that. And uh, I frequently uh, do freelance magazine pieces for Flamingo Magazine, which is the state's only uh, statewide culture and, and history magazine, and, and lots of fun to read, too. I had not heard about that one. Now i got to look that one up. And, of course, I bet if you listen to your podcast on a weekly basis, you won't wear shrimp boots to a rodeo town. <laughs> That's absolutely <laughs> right, man. You would know better. <laughs> I should mention that his wife was wearing the exact same outfit, so I wonder which one dressed him. 
knows? Well, Craig, thanks again for coming on. And stay safe for the rest of the hurricane and election season. And at some point in the near future, we're going to have to get you back on. Okay. All right. It's a deal. And, and you know, it's comparison hurricane and election season because they both depend on a lot of hot air. <laughs> <laughs> Probably right. Yes, sir. Thank All you, right. Craig. Craig All right. Man, you can read him. Craig. Thank you, sir. You yes, can read him from Lingo Magazine, the Florida Phoenix. You take care, too. Um, okay. And we got just a few more minutes. And so, um, Kara, you have been working, I guess, for more than one election cycle up in the Cleveland area. And probably the biggest surprise as far as, wow, how did this race get close this election season seems to be the um, Ohio Senate race where Tim Ryan has consistently had a small lead over Republican J.D. Vance, even though um, Ohio's a state that's trended Republican a lot like Florida has. Um, now, we know you hadn't worked necessarily all over the state, but Cleveland's the biggest city in the state. Mm. What's your take on that? You know, I think that um, Ohio was once the, the road to the right, White House, right, and Republicans are in a supermajority there. Um, the Democrats are working really hard to build infrastructure across the state. They have a governor's race that is moving people around the state, you know, building infrastructure, getting people ready. And so that's helping, uh, I think, undergird a little bit of folks that really are paying attention to the Senate race. And you've got Tim Ryan out there. Um, you know, he's running really strong. I think he's finding his footing. He's got a really tough Trump-endorsed candidate, J.D. Vance, who I believe they're going to be debating this week. And, you know, it's really going to come down to turnout. It's going to come down to Democrats pushing across the state to get uh, Ryan over the line and really helping his campaign reach every corner of, of Ohio. And with Trump coming in, we know he comes in late and fast, uh, builds up fierce energy toward the end and really pushes his candidates over uh, so Tim Ryan's got to figure out how to maneuver that in these final weeks. Yes, and um, I don't know if J.D. Vance is really running his campaign uh, for the Republican primary when you're working up there, uh, but that was a multi-candidate primary, so J.D. Vance didn't have to win anywhere close to a majority. What were people's take when you heard anybody mention J.D. Vance um, around the Cleveland area? I mean, the biggest thing was that, you know, he was buying so the Trump's endorsement and to get his support. And when it finally came in, I think people said, okay, we know what we're working with now. And, and I believe that Trump has a couple of congressional candidates that, he, that he's pushing across Ohio as well. Remember, you know, Ohio went through a huge redistricting. The maps were struck down multiple times. Um you know, declared unconstitutional, but they held for the election. So, you know, we may see a shift in those maps later. But for now, you know, really, really, really have a Trump, uh, Trumpian-led effort to try to put more folks in office that align with the former president. And so it wasn't so much about J.D. Vance as much as it was about who was Trump going to pick. Yes, because um, there were other candidates I know that Paul thought he might have. Well, I'm going to pass it to Tim, and he can either stick on 
this this intriguing Ohio race, or if you want to move over to Tennessee, Tim, I'm good either way. Yeah, well, I think I want to move down to Tennessee because, Kerry, you obviously know a great deal about the Nashville area. I was blessed to visit that area a couple of months ago, and your city is uh, exploding, to be honest. There are high-rises going up everywhere, uh, mm-hmm. Great infrastructure work going on. That looks like some the the hand of progressivism there ha, has been doing some some good work. But you're, that city looks wonderful. Uh, on the downside, however, um, the legislature, of course, played some hanky panky with the local uh, congressional seat. Uh, why don't you uh, catch our listeners up on what's going on there? Yes, you know the redistricting process really, really hurts uh, the the current Democratic structure in you know Nashville, which is a Democratic stronghold. And so mm-hmm. Nashville, a Nashville was in a entirety a congressional seat, and Congressman Jim Cooper decided to retire after the. Uh, maps came down showing that Nashville would be broken up into several different congressional seats. And so instead of, you know, a congressional seat sitting in the Capitol, they all now sit out in the very rural parts of the state. And we saw this happen in Austin, Texas, um, and, and they wrote about how it really ended up hurting the growth of the city because they didn't have a direct advocate for the city at the federal level. And uh, we hope that it doesn't go down that road for Nashville. But, you know, we are seeing that these races, although there are some great Democrats running, you've got Odessa Kelly running, you know, to try to keep one of those uh, Democratic seats, it's just very, very difficult the way the maps are drawn because the majority of the votes are outside of the city now. Um, Mm -hmm. So they're really broken up and we're going to lose a lot of power. Um, as yeah, and, and and I was I was going to ask you about that because you've got a city that that obviously is strongly majority Democratic. Don't the Democrats in Nashville feel like suddenly they're not going to be represented at all? Exactly, that's exactly right. You know, and with a supermajority state legislature, a Republican governor, not having you know, a powerful Democratic leader, either at the state level or the federal level, really, you know, puts Democrats in a, in hopefully a a motivating way that we start breaking up some of this power across the state and it builds the party. But it does mean that folks that you need to listen to your voices are pretty much decided on the opposite of your issue. So the advocacy and, and pushing for policies that are going to benefit the city um, it's just going to be very hard to do that now with no so, living in the city. Yeah, so, David, there there I am, Mr. Gloom and Doom. I know, I know how to do it. Why don't you end us on an upbeat note? <laughs> well, just having uh, Kara for the entire hour and Craig for that uh, solid chunk in the middle of the show, that overcomes any gloom and doom. Um, you know, we know you've got a month left um, until most of the races will end. Now, of course, 
of, you know, Louisiana, like you told us right at the start of the show, may keep on into over. I guess it really is technically overtime the way they structure things, but it may continue on. But is there any – if people want to read, um, I think your site has news on it. Tell our listeners how people can get a hold of you. Yeah, look, I'm, I'm so excited to be with you guys. Thanks for, for having me. You can reach me anytime at on Twitter at Kara Turrentine. Um, you can reach me uh, at Kara at TurrentyPolitical.com. I'm excited to, to, you know, talk about these races. And, look, Democrats, get out there, get involved, find a candidate that you support, and make these last uh, four weeks, these last 31 days count. All right. Yes. And, Kara, I apologize. I think I've been slightly mispronouncing your name the entire time. Maybe one of the most favorite administrators I ever worked with spelled his name exactly like yours but pronounced it a bit different. And so oh, I got yeah. I got you and Steve mixed up. But I, I consider that a high honor because I really do think this was one of my favorite bosses of my uh, teaching career. So, Kara Turrentine, I apologize uh, for that. Um, but uh, next week we're excited. We're going to have John Ryder come on the show from Arizona. We're excited to welcome Catherine back from a special assignment. But, Kara, we were so, uh, so excited to have you on the show uh, just sharing all of your knowledge about really a lot of states we hadn't talked about in a while. Hey, I'm, I, anytime. I love you guys. Thanks so much for what you're doing, keeping people informed. Always good to be with you. Yeah, Thank so you. good to have you on. Until next night, week, guys. it's been the Cousy Vine. Not everybody. Good night. We are the heirs of that first revolution with a strong and united America.